Welcome to episode 29 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today, we're going to come back to our Women of the Bible series, and we are going to actually talk about Bathsheba. And I would say that Bathsheba is a character who is usually only talked about in context of David's wider story. She does become one of David's wives after he does a bunch of stuff to her. And so even though the story usually centers around David and she's more of a side character, today I really want her to be the focus. And I want to warn you that there's a lot of hard and tragic things that happen to Bathsheba. She really shouldn't just be this side character in the story of David's life. She's a real woman who existed in history, and she suffered at the hands of a powerful king in multiple ways. And as I've read her story several times, I have grown increasingly sad. I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. I've read it, all the things. And really, some things are just hard to digest when we read them in the Bible. And I think for me, Bathsheba's story is one of those things. I think usually her story is framed as her being some kind of like temptress or seductress or something that someone that really led David astray. But I think that really when we reread the story in a modern lens, we can see that Bathsheba was a survivor. And so that's really what I want to focus on today. And I want to focus on her more than David, even though I will read a passage that mostly talks about David. I also want to give you a quick warning that this episode does mention menstrual cycles and also sexual assault. So if you have little ears in the car or if these topics tend to be triggering for you, I just wanted to give you a quick warning about that before we get started. Hey, Millennial. Welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Katherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate Creator, and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. Lord, thank you so much that you care about every single person that you have created. Thank you that the people in the Bible are real people, that they are well-rounded human beings. They are not characters in a story that fall flat. They are real people with real strengths and flaws and actions that they take and faithfulness and things that we can really learn about and from. And I pray that you would really help us to see Bathsheba in more than just the light of how she's been portrayed as a side character in David's story, that we would see her the way that you see her. And I pray that your words would come out of my mouth and that the Holy Spirit would move through our our exploration of this story today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that we have the Bible to read from and to learn from, and you are so gracious and loving with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to start with the Bible. 
And like I said, this passage does focus on David. Bathsheba is not mentioned that often. However, we're going to zero in on the places that she is mentioned after I read this passage. Bathsheba appears in 2 Samuel, and she does actually appear again later when Solomon is made king because she is actually the mother of Solomon and there's an interaction that's recorded between them. However, we're not going to be talking about that interaction today. Today, we're going to talk about 2 Samuel chapter 11. And the context here is that David is now the established king over Israel, and he has been very successful in warfare. And he's been so successful because God has really been with him and winning the battles for him and strengthening him and giving him the things he needs to be successful. So all of the credit for David's strong abilities really come from the Lord. David, you know, has been king for a little bit when this starts. And so in this chapter, we're going to see that David decides this particular season, this spring, not to go off to war as he, it seems, normally would have. And instead, he commits a series of very serious, serious sins. I would really encourage you to try your best to not focus on David as much in this passage, but to really listen when you hear Bathsheba's name and ponder her a little bit more than you might have otherwise. All right, I'm going to read it. Second Samuel 11, the whole chapter. So bear with me. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with his king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone out to find her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come home from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and his Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. 
So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, When you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up, and he may ask you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know that they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerub Besheth? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in, in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he had told David everything Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of her mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Okay, so that's the end of this part. It's not the last that we see of David or Bathsheba or most of the people in the story, except for Uriah. And after this, in the next chapter, the prophet of the Lord, Nathan, comes and actually rebukes David. And he tells David a story where basically he gets David to admit that what David did was wrong without David understanding that Nathan was talking about him. And in that story, he refers to Bathsheba as an ewe lamb that's stolen by a rich man from a poor man and that that ewe lamb is killed. And so David's outraged by that. But then Nathan says, like, you are the man in the story. You are the rich man who takes from the poor man and steals the ewe lamb. David then is going to be punished for his actions. And Nathan tells him that God will punish him. After that, David actually repents And if you want to see more about that, Psalm 51 is recorded as having taken place after what he did to Uriah the Hittite and to Bathsheba. So that's a great one to read if you're also interested in David's story. Back to Bathsheba. So part, not the whole, but part of the punishment that happens to David is that God strikes Bathsheba's son with a disease, and then the son dies about seven days later. Now, 2 Samuel 12, verse 24 says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and he made love to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. And then really Bathsheba doesn't appear again until later when David is no longer king and Solomon, her son, that comes later, not the original son that she was pregnant with, but the next son that she was pregnant with, um, he becomes the king of Israel. Now, I thought we would talk about some attributes of Bathsheba and then kind of get into what we can learn about God through her story. The first thing I really want to emphasize about her story is that one, she was a survivor, not 
a temptress. In no way does the text imply that Bathsheba was out to seduce David. And there's so many times I have been under the impression, based on how people told the story, based on, I know that there was like a movie that was made about it where it seems like Bathsheba was out trying to seduce David. There is absolutely no indication of that in the story. All it says is that she was either bathing or washing, depending on which interpretation you read. And David was the one on his rooftop when he was supposed to be out at war. It says that when, te- when kings are supposed to be out at war and David instead was at home in his palace on his rooftop and that's not where he should have been. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was out at war as he should have been and he is killed by David because of David's sin of taking Bathsheba. And so Bathsheba wasn't sitting there like trying to tempt him. She was merely washing herself, probably from inside her house. It doesn't say that she was on her rooftop, so it's not really certain where she was at, but she was clearly somewhere where it made sense to take a bath. Now, he saw her naked from whatever vantage point he had from the roof and decided that he would have her. We today would call this assault. She cannot, as his subject, refuse the king. So when David sends out his messengers and forces her to come to him, she can't refuse. And if she can't refuse, she's not consenting. She cannot refuse the king. She is his subject. And David took advantage of her. Bathsheba was David's victim in more ways than one. So she can't say no to to having sex with him. And whether she outright refused to have sex with him is neither here nor there. That that shouldn't matter. She couldn't, she didn't have the power in this relationship. David had all the power as the king. And she is powerless to refuse him whether she vocalized that or not. So it really does bother me whenever, not just in this story, but whenever I hear people portray a victim as a temptress or like they brought it on their self in any way. No, she was merely going about her daily life and David chose to do this. It's on David. And I think we need to stop this whole narrative of victims somehow being temptresses that men have no self-control. David certainly could have controlled himself and chose not to, and that's on him. I also want to point out that Bathsheba is never blamed by God or by Nathan or by anyone else in the story. Nathan, by receiving the Lord's information and then telling it to David, never even mentions Bathsheba as any sort of temptress or as anyone guilty or as anyone who has sinned. She is never portrayed in that light in the actual text. All of the blame is placed onto David and especially the part where he takes Bathsheba and then murders her husband. So in Nathan's story that I kind of summarized earlier, she's portrayed as an ewe lamb, just a lamb. And it's really an interesting and a powerful image of someone being helpless, a helpless woman. And I think also the choice of of portraying her as a lamb is really interesting considering the um, animal sacrifice that happened for 
the Israelites during this time and also the imagery throughout the Bible as um, Jesus is the Lamb of God. So I think I'm not saying that Bathsheba in any way is close to Jesus. I'm just saying it's an interesting imagery to choose. And I also want to point out here that ultimately Bathsheba has to marry the man whose sin harmed her to such a deep level, to such a deep level. On so many fronts, his sin causes her to lose so, so much. And she ends up having to marry him. So she was a survivor, not a temptress. And we shouldn't view her as someone who was trying to seduce David. That is not the case. The second thing I want to point out about Bathsheba is that she mourned so many things, that she grieved deeply. After David actually kills her husband, Bathsheba, it is recorded as saying that she mourns his death. She mourns her husband. She had grief to work through. And I'm sure she also then had to mourn her son's death. We know that David comforted her. It says that in the text. So she must have been upset. And really, even though it doesn't say whether she was grieving or not over her son, losing a child is something that surely produces grief in people. So I think it's probably safe to assume that she deeply mourned her son's death, her husband's death, and also what David did to her. Bathsheba's story is one that is marked by deep, deep loss of her family, of her rights to her own body, of the life that she had had before she became David's wife. She had to completely change everything about her life because once David marries her, yes, she does have a higher station in life, obviously the wife of the king or one of the wives of the king, but she also doesn't have the old life she was used to. Everything changes for her. And the consequences of David's sin has a deep and a devastating effect for Bathsheba, who didn't do anything wrong in this story. It is so hard to wrestle with sometimes with how the sin of people who have committed sin often harms people who did not commit the sin. And that is something really hard to wrestle with. The third thing I wanted to point out is that she was faithful. We don't hear much about Bathsheba in the story or outside of the story, but one thing that we know is that she cleansed herself. So there's actually quite a bit of debate when I was looking it up about whether the purification that's mentioned in this passage was related to the end of her menstrual cycle, as it kind of indicates in the version that I just read, or because she had just had intercourse. And it was kind of interesting because when I was reading the biblical law that was laid out that she would have been following at the time, in Leviticus 15, there isn't a mention of women needing to bathe or wash to purify themselves after their period has ended. There's a bunch of other stuff that they're supposed to do, and you're not supposed to like touch a woman when she's on her period or you're unclean and all these different things. And so it was kind of interesting, though, that in the rest of the passage, it talks about way more than just menstrual cycles. It also talks about having sex. And when men produce semen, there's certain cleansing. So there's all these different rules in there. But there's no rule that you're supposed to wash or bathe yourself after your period ends. So this version of the text actually assumes that that's what she was doing. And that's based on really Jewish custom and rules that were later added that dictated that women should wash after their period. So it is possible that it is linked to her menstrual cycle, but also 
it could have been the fact that she had just had intercourse. Because in Leviticus 15, 16, it actually says, when a man has had an emission of semen, he must bathe his whole body with water and he will be unclean until evening. Any clothing or leather that has semen on it must be washed with water and it will be unclean until evening. When a man has sexual relations with a woman and there is an emission of semen, both of them must bathe with water and they will be unclean until evening. So that's verses 16, 17, and 18. So really, she could have actually just been bathing to wash herself in faithfulness to this regulation. You have an emission of semen and therefore she's meant to wash. So either way, I know that this is like kind of (laughs) a weird thing to talk about, but either way, she is actually being faithful to either the rules that God had set out or the rules that the Jewish people were following and meant to follow at the time. So this indicates that she is someone who practices the law that God had set out or that the custom of the time had set out. And she's a faithful person either way. If you actually do want to know more about the whole bathing issue and and what the likely scenarios are for this specific passage, I will link a really great article on it in the show notes by Dr. Claude Maritini. He's a professor of the Old Testament, and he had some really interesting things to say and some research that he had done on the subject. That will be linked if you are interested. The fourth thing about Bathsheba is that she is actually in the line of Jesus. So Bathsheba later has Solomon, who is David's son. And Solomon actually, even though he's not the, he's not David's firstborn son, he actually does end up becoming the king over Israel through all kinds of crazy things that happen later um, that I'm not going to get into here. And from his line, we actually eventually come to Jesus. And so God chooses Bathsheba, who was pretty powerless in this whole scenario and had undergone all of this tragedy in her life in order to bring about so much redemption in Jesus who comes and actually saves us from our own sin and the sin of the world, should we believe in him. And that's kind of a beautiful end redemption to her story. Now, what can we learn about God from Bathsheba's story? First, I do want to emphasize that God holds David accountable for his sin. God sends Nathan the prophet to call David out, and David is actually punished. His punishment is pretty rough on other people and is actually also a topic related to women that makes me sad because part of his punishment um, is that his 10 of his concubines are going to be raped by his son. And that is something that is really hard for me to process and think about, but I might address it someday on a future episode. But ultimately, David is held accountable by God for the sin that he has committed in the story. God doesn't take sin lightly. Sin is something that is very serious against him. And it also affects so many other people. And that's really sad. It's a sad reality of sin is that it produces death. Second, God provides for Bathsheba even in her loss. He provides her with another son, and I know that doesn't make up for losing her original son, but he does provide that for her. 
And also, she does end up in a privileged position as the wife of the king. And again, that doesn't make up for all of the tragedy in her life and the deep mourning and the deep, deep loss that she goes through. I'm not saying it makes up for it. But God does not just leave Bathsheba with the consequences of David's sin. He provides for her even in her loss. And he provides for her financially. He provides for her with another son, with a position of prominence. And her story did not end here, although we don't hear much of it later. That doesn't mean her story didn't continue in a, in a beautiful way that we might not know about. The third thing that we can learn is that God chose to make women in his image so that they are not less important than men. Look, just because David is the focus in this story, it does not mean he was more important to God than Bathsheba. And I want to remind us of Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Women are created in God's image. We are his image bearers. We are not second class citizens to God. We are not less than men in God's eyes. That is not indicated in scripture. We are equal to men. And we are loved by God intimately and intensely. And I think that sometimes when we're reading the Bible and we hear man's story, man's story, man's story, like so many men, right? Sometimes subconsciously we can start to feel that maybe women are not as important to God, but that is not true. Women are equally valued as men in God's eyes, and we are equally his image bearers. And that is a beautiful thing. Fourth, God's plan was always Jesus. Bathsheba was the great, I don't know how many greats, uh, grandmother of Jesus. And Jesus, when he comes, he lives the perfect life. He is the perfect human being. And he takes the punishment for our sin. He cares about every sin that was ever committed. God does not let sin just go. What kind of God would we serve? If sin that affects and harms people in the world and God so intensely, what kind of God would we serve if he just let it go like it didn't matter? Like when a human being harms you with their sin, like that doesn't matter. No, God cares about every sin that was ever committed and was ever harming another human being. And it's all held to account in the sacrifice and willing death of Jesus on the cross. That debt has been paid and the justice has been done. And we are free, but it was at great, great cost. All right, let's summarize. Bathsheba, what can we learn about her? Well, first, she was a survivor, not a temptress. Second, she mourned many things. Third, she was faithful. And fourth, she's in the line of Jesus. And what can we learn about God from her story? First, he holds David accountable for his sin. Second, he provides for Bathsheba even in her loss. Third, God chose to make women in his image so they are not less important than men. And fourth, God's plan was always, always Jesus. All right, let's close. Lord, thank you so much for Bathsheba's story. And thank you that in such a male-dominated society, in such a male-dominated world, you give us stories of women. 
women who are strong and faithful and lovely. And I thank you that we can learn from them and that we can learn about you through them. You are a faithful and loving God. And I pray for every woman here that you would just be with her, be present with her, help her feel her importance to you because she is not worthless. She matters so much in your eyes. You love her and you will not forsake her. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show, and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast, and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.